you are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned after it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Good morning. Our scripture today is from Romans chapter 5. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was the type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, trespass, much more has the grace of God and the free gift of the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. The free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation But the free gift, following many trespasses, brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen, and good morning, and welcome. Great to see all of you, and happy to be here with you on MLK Weekend. I want to take just a moment to honor Martin Luther King Jr. and uh, his words and his life and his legacy. They've meant a lot to me, shaped me. Uh, His courage has impacted me, and so I just want to take a moment to to honor him uh, here in our midst. Can we do that, Lord? We're grateful for for that. So we're all better. We're all better because of his life and his legacy. So uh, better because of him. uh, Today I want to, as you can see, we're in this series called Amazing Grace, and today I want to talk about my favorite thing in the world favorite thing in the world now last week i talked about my least favorite thing in the world if you missed that you can go back and catch that on our podcast and our website but today i want to swing it to sort of the other side and talk about my favorite thing in the world my favorite thing in the world uh, that is of course besides and after my wife my children and all of you this is like my distant fourth favorite thing in the world, my distant fourth favorite thing in the world, but I want to talk to you about that, which is uh, my favorite thing in the world, which is winning. Winning, yes. If you don't know me, I'd love to win sometimes in ways that are actually not good. Uh, A few years ago, for example, I was speaking at a retreat for a few hundred college students and at one part of this retreat they had this like amazing race kind of thing these little stations with contests and one of the stations was a pull-up contest station and you had to do pull-ups whoever did the most pull-ups won a whole bunch of points for their team and so somehow some way I did like more pull-ups than anybody else at the retreat there were some uh, UT athletes there some football players track athletes and so I was feeling really really good about myself and so I went home on went home on cloud 99 Uh, I told my wife all about it. 
repeatedly. Uh, never mind, of course, what happened in the lives of the students that were there. I won the pull-up deal, right? Uh, and so I went on and on about it. Well, the next day, next day, uh, we take turns going to the gym. And she, and she went first, and she came home, and, and then I went. And I, I'm in there doing whatever I, I was doing. All of a sudden, one of these trainers that, that worked for the gym came up to me, and he said, hey, man, he said, I've been watching you. He's like, I want to tell you that, that our gym's having like this total fitness competition. And, uh, and, I, I, and, I, and I think that you would be great at it. There's like this, you know, there's bench press and there's squats and there's jumping bit and then there's, there's some pull-ups in it. And, you know, would you, would you want to do something like that? And I said, well, it's funny you'd mention pull-ups. <laughs> because, you know, this past weekend I was at this retreat, there's all these students there and athletes and athletes there. And, uh, and I won this pull-up contest there. And he's like, wow, how many did you do? And I told him, he's like, wow, that's a lot. And, and he said, I bet you could win our whole contest. And I'm like, Really? And he said, it's actually, no, I mean, I'm just kidding. He's like, I made this whole thing up. Your wife was just in here before you. And she told me you were feeling way too good about yourself. And she wanted to see what would happen if I'd have said the word pull-ups, if I could get you going. So, oh my gosh. And so, yeah, I was just humiliated, you know, for the rest of my time there. And so when I got home, I walk in the front door and there's Carrie smiling at me. She says, hi, honey, how was your workout? <laughs> yeah. So the winning thing, yeah, the winning thing it got me. Sometimes it gets me in ways that, that aren't good. Over my life, this winning thing, it's bordered on, some would say, has way crossed over uh, into obsession. We were playing a family game the other night. It's this ridiculous game. It's this fun game where you, you try to collect cards. And it, at some point in the game, this is true game, depending on which cards gets collected and who plays what, you get to pick up this little tiny foam uh, burrito, tiny foam burrito. Maybe you've seen it at Target or whatever. And so, uh, and you get to pick it up and you get to drill it, uh, throw it at the other players in an effort to win. And so I kept drilling my daughter with a tiny foam burrito in my quest to win, win what? I don't know. Does it really matter? You know, my wife just looked at me at that point with the look that wives give husbands when husbands get ridiculous. And she asked me this question. She said, what is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? I said, I don't know. I said, it's just instinct. I'm sorry. And my whole life, it's just been this instinct, and I've just been drawn to that thing, that idea, that feeling of winning. Now, now, at, at this point, some of you, if not most of you, probably all of you, are totally judging me. And I totally deserve all of that and probably more. But, but, uh, but for, fortunately for me, in my defense, there's this, there's this little thing going around now you may have heard of. It's called the Enneagram. And it says that I'm a three, uh, which means basically it's not my fault. That God, that God made me this way. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm joking. Thank you. Well played. Yes, I'm jo- I was joking. Now, I do like to win. And I think a lot of us do. Maybe all of us do at some level. Why? Well, because I think we would all say that winning is better than, I'll just call it this, winning is better than not winning. Winning is better than not winning. And while you may not have the instinct I have, some of you may say the need for therapy that I have, the truth is no one likes to lose, especially the Houston Astros. And so we all, oh man, that's that's right, that's right. Yeah, that's right. It got real personal real fast. We all, we all, when given the chance, we all, when given the opportunity, we all, when given the choice, we would prefer winning to not winning. 
And do you know that someone named Paul, actually the Apostle Paul, history knows him as that, the Apostle Paul makes the unbelievable claim, that what seems too good to be true claim that you can win every time. Not at something as inconsequential as a, a card game or as fleeting as a baseball game, but at the most important thing of all, through the most amazing thing of all. The Bible makes the claim, the claim that you can win in life, overcome in life through a counterintuitive way, through an upside down way. It's not your way. It's definitely not my way. And it's for sure not the American way. The Bible makes a claim you can win in life, not because of anything you could ever achieve, but only because of something you can receive. You say, well, what's this amazing thing? Well, it's a word that appears more than 120 times in the New Testament alone by people who knew Jesus of Nazareth and who followed Jesus and they watched him live and they watched him die and they saw him resurrected with their own eyes and they said they experienced something amazing, something brand new in the world through this connection with Jesus and they called that experience, experience of grace, of grace, and which is what, as you may have guessed, we're looking at all month long with our global every nation spiritual family. So what is that? You know, what's grace? We're talking about grace this month. You can see what's grace. Well, a number of good definitions out there. And of course, a lot of you from a church background, you were probably given a definition. I'm sure it's a great one. It's a good one. Uh, but let me just give you our working definition for the series. Saw it last week. Let's take a look quickly at it today. Here's our working definition of grace. Grace is getting what you want the most when you need it the most when you deserve it the least. Again, I'd like to ask you to read this out loud with me. Say this with me. Say, grace is getting what you want the most when you need it the most when you deserve it the least. See, you can't earn grace. You don't deserve grace. You don't have any right to it. Grace is what you get. For example, when a law enforcement officer caught you going that fast in that zone and had every right to write you that ticket, but he or she lets you go, or it's when you turned in that paper or that assignment late if you're a student because you were swamped or you forgot or you just didn't want to, instead of that, that grade, you got a, a different grade and therefore you finished with that grade instead of that grade, or it's when you forgot your anniversary again. Yeah, and instead of the couch, you get not the couch, right? That's great. In each case, you got what you wanted the most, when you needed it the most, when you deserved it the least. And right here in the book of Romans, chapter 5, the Apostle Paul, someone who had an encounter with the person of Jesus, says that you can get that. You can get what you want the most from God, when you need it the most, when you deserve it the least. So let me try to show you here, just for the next three minutes or so, why Paul says that, why you can receive the grace of God, then I want to show you four ways quickly that Romans 5 shows us how grace works in our lives. All right. So here, Paul, he, he's writing a letter to Christians in the first century. They live in the city of Rome. This letter he's writing is all about the gospel. It's all about the good news of Jesus Christ. And then Paul comes in chapter five to this big bit on the subject, the idea the experience of the grace of God. And here's how he sets the whole thing up. Verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. Let's just pause here. Paul's saying, what's he saying? He's saying that one decision brought disaster. 
One decision brought disaster because isn't it true, isn't it true, that one decision by one person can bring disaster on many. One person can light, come on, a match in a forest and bring destruction on many, uh, many around them. One person can run a light and bring disaster on a whole intersection full of people and so forth. See, one decision can bring disaster on countless people. And Paul is saying that is what has happened to the human race. He's saying because of what one person did named Adam did way back before this. When the first humans disobeyed God, something in them got fundamentally broken and they passed on not just biological DNA for their children, but spiritual DNA into their children. And that spiritual DNA they passed on, he calls sin. Now, you, you may not like this, may not like this word. It's not like the most popular word you're going to hear on the, on the news every night. This word may be triggering, triggering you from some bad experiences that you've had along the way with some pastor, some church, some voice of beating you with this word. Not my intent today, but let me tell you, fortunately, fortunately, And thankfully for us, Jesus in his teaching, and Paul here, he's just echoing Jesus, they won't let us get past that word. And the reason I say fortunately and thankfully is because sin is a reality. And Jesus was nothing if not a dealer in reality. Reality, he dealt everywhere he went. He kept it real, he called it like it was, and he showed the world, he showed us our fundamental problem. It's not a lack of money. Although money's crucial for human flourishing in the world. He's showing us that our, our fundamental problem is not a lack of education, although education is crucial for human flourishing in the world. But you know this, and I know this, people can have all the money, all the education in the world, and still be a wreck of a person. Even with all the money, even with all the education that you have, you can still make a decision that brings disaster on countless others. So Jesus taught that your fundamental problem is just wanting something else, going after anything else first in life besides the love of God. And that chase we do for maybe even the right thing in the wrong way, he calls sin. See, sin damages you. It causes you to lose in life, lose in relationships, lose at work, and maybe, maybe even lose for eternity. Where, where does it show up? Where does it show up? Unfortunately, everywhere. Look at how Paul puts it. He says, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. He's saying here, that guy Moses didn't create sin. That guy Moses didn't make up evil. The Ten Commandments didn't create sin. Say, no, sin's all over the place. It's all over the place in the world. The commandments, they're just kind of like, moral metal detectors they just show you where they are and the commandments he's saying they can't fix the global human sin problem because all rules are laws are commandments are religion are all they can do is try to put a lid on the sin it's kind of like putting putting on a pair of spanks after the holidays you know it's just it helps for a little while not in the long run but guess what dealer in reality indeed right because sin because sin is spread paul is showing us from adam to his children to their children now to to your parents now to you sin had always won it always had the last word sin and the effects of sin always won but paul puts it like this verse 17 because of one man's adam's trespass death reigned through that one man oh but paul says now 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 that the person 
of Jesus has come, something better has come, something brand new has come into the world to break the cycle of losing, the cycle of sin, and it's called grace. Verse 17, for if because of, oh, don't you love this, one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Paul is claiming that if you will receive the abundance of the grace of God through the person of Jesus Christ, the Savior, you can reign in life. You can win in life. You can break the cycle, break whatever streak, losing streak, perhaps, of sin you have. You can get, in other words, the thing you really want the most when you need it the most, when you deserve it the least. You can win in life, overcome in life by receiving the abundance of the grace of God. You say, Morgan, well, that's nice. That sounds real nice. That sounds real good. Okay. So what does grace look like? What does it look like? How does grace help me win in life? What does grace look like in action? All right. Grace here, we're going to see, looks like, I believe, four things. Four things grace looks like. Let's look at them in turn. First, put it like this. Grace looks like good news from a great king. It looks like good news from a great king. What do I mean? Someone named uh, David Martin Lloyd-Jones. You may know the name. He was a, uh, first a doctor, then later a, a teacher, a pastor in England. He's a pastor in England, a theologian. He pastored for many years there. He wrote a lot of books. You should read them. And he tried to speak as to why you and I, why we may not feel we're winning the battle with sin in our lives somehow, if that's you, even though you, you may have a relationship with Jesus. He said this. He said, imagine a place where one group of people were allowed to dominate another group. And of course, given our nation's history, England's history, you don't have to imagine very far. One group could order another group around without fear of reprisal. But imagine, he said, imagine if a new ruler came to power, if a a loving king came to power, a just king, and he immediately mandated that all peoples were equal. And by the stroke of his pen, he set everyone free. He said, but imagine if, and we saw, we've seen this in history, if a word took a long time to reach the people, imagine if they had not heard there was a new king in charge and therefore a new power ruling. Imagine that while some of the people had heard and lived in the freedom, not all had, so not all did. He said, he asked this question. He said, would that change the truth that a new law, that a new rule, a new power was ultimately in charge. No, it wouldn't change that truth at all. So what would it take, he asked, for that whole country, the state, the nation, the people to live out what had happened? Well, it would take, and this is where it applies to us, among other things in various ways, it takes consistent communication, proclamation, and application of the truth. Consistent communication, application, proclamation of the truth. Let's shrink that thought down to you in your own heart. Maybe you feel free in some ways, free over here. Maybe, that, maybe there are parts of you that are getting the best of you. Your parenting, your marriage, finances, work. Maybe stuff in you based on the stuff that other people have done to you. That happens. And whatever that is, though, wherever it came in, wherever it came from, you know that that stuff is winning in ways you don't want it to. So what the grace of God means is that while what you have done or what someone has done to you has gotten the first word, oh, the grace of God means what Christ has done gets the last word in your life. Now, I remember being a young, a young college student, being, being gripped 
Maybe this is you gripped by the power of different addictions as a younger person. When I gave my life to Jesus, when I encountered the grace of God, I experienced a a level of freedom, but I I knew I needed more. And I remember walking around campus all day and quoting to myself the last word of Christ, (laughs) something that Paul wrote one chapter later in Romans chapter six, verse 14. Paul writes this, sin, I quoted, I personalized it. I said, sin shall not be master over me. For I am not, did you catch this, under law, but I am under grace. Sin shall not be master over me. I'm not under law, I'm under grace. And I put that verse down in me, communicated it, uh, exhorted myself, applied it until the freedom came. See, grace looks like good news from a great king, that the power of his grace is more powerful than the power of my sin. You communicate that to yourself until the freedom comes because of that second grace if we do that look grace now grace looks like also becoming then because of that becoming more than you ever thought possible let me try to show you what i mean i don't know if you've ever had this moment this happens all the time in our home this moment is the moment that happens when mom is the one who comes home with the groceries comes home with the groceries when mom comes home and the rest of us are there if you're there and mom comes home what are you supposed to do when she comes in come on everybody drops whatever they're in the middle of and gets up and they go help her why because she's the one who's busted her tail she's gone to the store right your life has shrunk to one job go get the groceries now and of course if you're like me or let's just say you're the average or even below average male your one thought now is this point is is this at this point your one thought is this i'm gonna get it all in one trip i'm gonna get it all in one trip and so you know this you do this you dudes you know you load up your arms with bags of groceries far past the wisdom or breaking point you shove pizza boxes like under your armpits right i mean you're holding the detergent between your elbows because you know you know you're convinced that it's worth risking all 200 dollars of groceries just so you don't have to take one more 60 second trip back out of the car right and so one time i did this and i probably had like 10 to 12 bags hanging off me and one of my one of my sons he was he was little at the time he he grabbed the last bag with one loaf of bread in it yeah I bring all my stuff in. He brings his one bag in. We put them all down. And he looks at me and he says, as he says, we did it, didn't we, dad? I looked at him. I said, yeah, buddy, we did it. We did it. What happened? He participated in the work of his father. Come on. And in doing so, he did way more than he ever could have done on his own. See, Paul, Paul wrote later, I am what I am by what? The grace of God and his grace toward me to not prove in vain. He says, yet I, I, I labored. I worked more than all of them. He's saying, I used to hate. I used to persecute Christians. And I met Jesus and his grace changed me. Now I'm working. I'm laboring. I'm participating in something I never could have done on my own. And let me tell you, this is what it's like to experience the grace of God. God calls you to do something. Go, go do that. Say yes to that or no to that. We, in return, we say, God, I need your strength. I need your grace. Would you do the heavy lifting for me in this area of my life? And then, then you walk out in the world knowing that whatever you are carrying, your heavenly Father is carrying far more than you could ever see. And in doing that, doing that, you become more than you ever thought possible third third if you do that now grace looks like this grace looks like freedom 
to rest. It looks like freedom to rest. A few years ago, maybe you saw it, a movie came out. Sundance Film Festival. It was called Three Seasons. Three Seasons. It was made by a filmmaker in Vietnam. It was about life in post-war Vietnam for the Vietnamese people. And the movie was a series of short stories that were strung together. And one of the short stories was about two people, two characters. One was named Hai and the other, Lon. And Hai, he was a cyclo driver, a rickshaw driver who, who falls in love with a prostitute named Lon. She works at big hotels and she's come to resent herself for all, all of her choices that she's made in life. She cannot believe that anyone would ever love her. Her great dream is to leave her old life behind and just to be able to sleep for one night in one of those big hotels without anybody using her or bothering her. And while she dreams of a new life, High in the story, High enters a cyclo race, a rickshaw race. And against all odds, he wins the race and he wins $200, U.S. dollars. And he, he takes his money to Lon and says he wants to buy her for a night at the hotel. And she thinks that he knows what, uh, what he wants to do. And the audience thinks they know what he wants to do. But to everybody's surprise, he says, what I want to do with what I've won is just to give you your heart's desire. I've just bought a night for you to sleep alone in your hotel. It's to rest. And she accepts his offer, though she, she, she struggles to feel worthy of what he's done for her. But her acceptance of his offer sets off this chain reaction on the inside of her and it lets her know she really is deserving of love. She can start a new life. And the, and the last scene of the movie is beautiful. It's depicted in the gorgeous movie poster. Here it is. And we, get, we got an image of it, which shows Lon in a place with these red blossoms falling around her from what's known as the phoenix tail tree. She, she's risen from the ashes and she's dressed in white. She's in a place of beauty. She's been escorted there by the one who has bought her freedom, bought her her rest. And in that place, she lets her old life go. She can breathe. She can rest. Why? Because she realizes she has received a gift of grace. Some of you say, Morgan, I can't do that. I can't do that. If you knew what I had done, if you knew what I did last night or where I was done or what my circumstances are, Morgan, you wouldn't say that. I don't deserve that. But that's just the point, isn't it? That's just the point none of us do. None of us do. That's what grace is. And here's why. Here's why none of us deserve this. And here's why you can do this. It's because, it's because in the end, in the end, grace looks like this. Grace looks like a fortune spent on someone like you. This past May 2019, something amazing happened. Maybe you saw it in the news. Uh, graduating students at Morehouse College. It's a historical black college for men in Atlanta, Georgia. They were gathered there for their final moments as students. And they were sitting and they were listening to that you know, traditional commencement speech. And I've listened to a gazillion of these over the years as a campus missionary. Some of them are exciting. Some of them are boring. But man, they're always somebody usually interesting that's speaking. But this one at Morehouse was billionaire Robert F. Smith. He's the, the, the wealthiest African-American in United States and Robert Smith was given the opportunity to address the class of 2019 and during his speech hadn't told anybody he was going to do this but he publicly committed to making an enormous donation and the purpose of it was to pay off the entire class of 2019's student debt a commitment that would end up totaling in the millions of dollars now can you imagine what it would have been like if you were there and that was you now think about it, if you had chosen to say, graduate a semester late, 
What would your parents have been thinking at that point? But, 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 but high G, if you were there, if that was you, you're graduating high GPA or low GPA. It didn't matter. No matter how smart they were, they all had a debt that was crushing. And they owed something that would take years to pay off if they could pay it off at all. Some of them would take probably a lifetime to pay. So what do you think those students felt like in that moment? Oh, I bet they felt. Like they had won something. They were winning in life, overcoming in life. Now, let me ask you, how did this happen? Did they really win something? No. Someone came and paid what they owed. They experienced, hear this, a change in status because of the payment of someone else on their behalf. They could not achieve this. They could only receive this. And in a moment, in a moment, when they stretched out their arms, so to speak, to receive this gift, their status changed. And Paul says the same thing happens to us when we receive, not achieve, receive the grace of God. We can reign in life because our status has changed. He says, how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life win in life overcome in life through the one man Jesus Christ the gospel of grace is that you and I can receive not achieve grace and here's how he says it's also through the free gift of righteousness it's the Greek word diokosune it means the free gift of approval the stamp of approval a legal status it means we're treated by our heavenly father on a cosmic scale like those students were treated on a financial scale the slate is wiped clean we walk out as free people How? Through the one person, the one man, Jesus Christ. Because let me tell you, in the end, both Adam on one hand and Jesus are types. As Paul says, they are family lines. They are family trees. You didn't have a choice, the scriptures say, as to your first family. But you do have a choice for a new family, a better family, becoming a part of the family of God. We were all born one way, broken, lost, separated. But we can be, Jesus said, born again. We can leave Adam's rotting family tree behind because we can be redeemed by another family tree, the tree, the wooden cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said he he came that we might have what? What? Not what Satan has come to bring in your life, which is theft, death, destruction, the end. Jesus said he came that he might bring us abundant life. And when you know, and when you live inside good news from a great king, then you can rest You can be free. You can overcome in your emotions, overcome in your circumstances, reign in life, because you know a fortune has been spent on someone like you. Grace, she carries a world on her hips. No champagne flute for her lips, no twirls or skips. In her fingertips, she carries a pearl in perfect condition. What once was hurt, what once was friction, what left a mark, no longer stings because grace makes beauty out of ugly things. Grace finds goodness in everything. My prayer today is that right now in this moment, you would experience and encounter the grace, the abundant grace of our Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.